This evening, I have, I will be speaking to us from God's word on the topic, Finish Strong, Lessons from the Life of Gideon, Finish Strong. And we'll be in three chapters of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 7, and Judges chapter 8. But our concern is with the latter part of Gideon's life. But I don't want to assume this evening that every single one of us know about Gideon. Yes, you may have been coming to church, but maybe you've never heard a sermon on Gideon. Or maybe the book of Judges is not your favorite book, so you don't pay attention to such characters. So I'll start by asking you to turn your Bibles to Gideon, to Judges chapter 6, as we read 30 verses spread across three chapters. I must ask you to put your mind into the reading of God's word so that you will not be distracted and start thinking about other things. Judges chapter 6 from verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. Judges chapter 7 from verse 1. Judges chapter 7 from verse 1. Then Jerubal, which, is, which means destroyer or disturber of Baal, or let Baal contend against him. This name was given to Gideon after he brought down the idol of Baal in his father's house. Now Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. 
And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the valley of Midian was below him in the valley. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Beside the crescent ornament and the pendant and the purple garments worn by the kings of Media. And besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophra. And all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. 29. Jerubal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him his son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. 33. 
As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and hauled after the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubal, that is Gideon, and return for all the good that he had done to Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You must have heard it said previously, countless of times, that it is not how a man starts a journey that matters, but how he ends. It's not how a man starts a journey that matters, but how he ends. The saying is not saying that how a man starts a journey is not important. Some people will say it's not important. I don't quite agree. I think it's important how a man starts a journey. For example, if you have ever understood how airplanes work, at the start of a journey, the pilot fixes the coordinates, basically, and the system, he has a system where he fixes the coordinate to tell him where he's going to. Now, if the pilot is not so careful at that point, he won't get to his destination. So how we start also matters in life. But how a man ends matters more than how he starts. A man could start something and do a lot of things very well. He can cross all the axes. He can do everything right in accordance to God's word. But when he ends, it's as though a pack of cards have crashed. It's as though everything that he has worked for crumbles before his very eyes. The proof of this is the book of Kings. First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Sometimes you see a good king come up. You know some kings are very bad. So when you see an Ahab, you know oh, Ahab is a bad king. But when you see a Hezekiah, you say, yes, he's doing well. You see an Asa, you say, yes, he's doing well. But it is not the starting that matters as much as the ending. When someone was brokenhearted about Saul, you should understand Samuel's pain. Because Saul did not want to be king. Saul, when the time of ordination came, was nowhere to be found. And so this guy did not want to be king. Maybe at that point in the, in the history of Israel, the Bible does not tell us there were men who had leadership gifts. In fact, there were men probably who had gone to fight wars before and they had ability. And maybe some of them had ambition. But Saul was chosen. And when you read the book of First Samuel, the first thing that comes to your mind is, this is the right guy for the job. He, I mean, he doesn't want it. You know, one of the things they say about leadership is that if a man wants the position so much, don't give it to him. Don't give it to him. Just, if, if somebody comes to church and the thing he's looking for is a position and he's always asking, there's no use coordinator. When are we doing election? When are we doing it? We need to do election. And then you tell him, okay, calm down. Everybody is fulfilling. There's nothing missing. Are we lacking a youth president? They say, no, but for order, for order, we need to have a youth coordinator. Such a person, usually, you would want to 
sideline him and say, no, let me look for a better person. So Saul actually met all of those things. Countless of times we find such people even in our day. Men who, and women who don't run for authority, who don't run for position, and those things come to them, and they start well. But the sad thing is that a lot of times they don't end well. Look at Gideon. Look at Gideon. Gideon was not from a powerful tribe in Israel. Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh. In fact, in the tribe of Manasseh, Gideon's clan wasn't the strongest. That's not all. Gideon was the weakest in his father's house. So assume the father had other sons. I don't think this meant that he was the last son. But you know, the strengths of, of your children are different. The strength of boys are different. And Gideon was the weakest. And when God came to him and told him that I will deliver Israel through your hand, Gideon brought all these things before God. You remember how Moses told God that uh, I, have, I have speech impediment. I can't speak before Pharaoh. So Gideon actually was, was a humble guy from the start. It seems so that he was humble and he wasn't looking for the position. He was so fearful even that he was beating wheat in a wine press. Now, at this point in the history of Israel, they had deserted God. And so what God did, basically the, the storyline in the book of Judges is that God will allow them to be beaten by their enemies. So at this point in time, the Midianites were actually a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites. So this is what will happen. If we are Israelites, we'll go out and plant our maize, plant our food, do everything. The Midianites will come to our fields. This is what they did to the Israelites. They'll come to the field and pluck everything. It got to a point that the animals in Israel could not find food to eat. That's how bad it was. So Gideon was now making his own wheat. And probably because these guys would be running up and down any time and would come and take their, his stuff, he was hiding in a wine press to do it. So Gideon looks as though he's, he's good for the job. He'll be a good judge. But it is not how a man starts that matters. Or, to put it another way, how a man starts doesn't matter as much as how he ends. The question you will ask me is, why is this important? Why is it important to consider the necessity of finishing well as a Christian? After all, the Bible tells me that if I am in Christ's hand, Christ will never let me go. So why is it important that I finish well? If after the service somebody brought up a question, if I have salvation and I am assured of my salvation, why is it important to finish well then? Let me give you with an example. If regardless of how I do in an exam, if regardless of whatever I write in an exam, I will still be promoted to the next class. Why does it matter what I write? And today in our children's sports, they don't give, I don't know, I heard they don't give positions anymore. If all of these five children I can see in front of me run a race and all of them are declared winners, the thing to say is, 
What's the point in practicing? What's the point in keeping fit? The truth is, as we will see in the life of Gideon, there are consequences when a Christian does not finish strong. There are consequences that may span many generations even after you die if you don't finish strong. There are consequences that may span millions and even billions of people if you don't finish strong. Case in point, last year, some revelations began to surface about a popular Christian apologist. And what was the effect? Did it affect just him and his family? No. It affected an entire ministry. More than that, it affected publishers. Because some people had this recommendation, we're talking about recommendation today, and they had to republish because you can't sell those books with that man's name anymore. What about the souls who began to question everything about Christianity? Who began to question the authenticity of Christian ministers? What about those who probably even left the church? What about them? When a man fails to finish strong, there are consequences for him and for others. And as we come to our text, our focus will be on the end of Gideon. So, Judges chapter 8 from verse 29. And there are four things I want us to quickly observe from our text. First, let us observe the request of the Israelites. Verse 22. The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian, of, of the Midianites. The people of Israel wanted to establish a monarchy. A monarchy is a system of government where power flows from a man to his son, to his son, to his son, to his son. So a monarchy is different from a democracy. In a democracy, you could vote for people, you could vote people out, but in a monarchy, when somebody is there, his son continues, his son continues, and, and you go like that. So it's more of a hereditary thing. Of course, there are monarchies that don't work like that. Somebody could usurp, but a monarchy basically means you have a king. And these people said, rule of ours. And what they were doing to Gideon is, is the same. They were not telling Gideon, these are the children of Israel, they were not telling Gideon, rule over us now. They, t- they told Gideon, we want to establish your dynasty. So it is not just you who should rule over us. Your son, your grandson, continuing, they will be ruling over us. And the reason why they said this was, they were thanking Gideon, that Gideon saved them from the hand of Midian. Why this is interesting is because the Bible tells us that it was God who saved them. At least six times in between chapter 6 and chapter 8, it is God who says, when, what, what happened when God met Gideon? Gideon said, how can I? And God said, no, it is not you. It is I who would through you save the children of Israel. So this is an instrument of God that these men and women were elevating and saying, you saved us. You saved us. So we are doing something for you as a, as a token of gratitude by making you king. What happened in the battle? Gideon had 32,000 men. 
And when he was going to war, God said, no, you can't go with 32,000 men. They are too much. The size of the army Gideon was going to face was 135,000. 135,000. And Gideon's army was 32,000. It's already a problem. And God said, lest the Israelites think that it is by their power that they will get victory, he reduced 32,000 to 300 men. And God did wonders with 300 men. But after the battle has finished, they came and said, Gideon, it is you that has saved us. What did Gideon do? It was, Gideon was so fearful that God told Gideon, he said, see, if, if you are having so much doubt, go to the camp of the Midianites. And so he went to the camp of the Midianites and two soldiers were discussing. He said, I slept last night too and I had a dream. I said, what is the dream? And when he finished explaining, someone said, ah, this can only be the hand of Gideon. This can only be the hand of Gideon. And so Gideon's faith was strengthened. So even the strength, the courage, he, he lacked. And so Gideon went back. And he said, yes, God has given them into our hand. What did Gideon do? What did Gideon do? Gideon did absolutely nothing. But I can, I can almost think of what these people were, were doing. You see, at this point in the, in, the, in the nation of Israel, they were divided. They were divided. So when Gideon was actually going to war, he invited only three tribes. Remember, Manasseh is a weak tribe. So Ephraim was stronger than Manasseh. Other tribes were stronger than Manasseh. So Gideon invited just three tribes to go fight. And so when they fought, Ephraim, the stronger tribe, came and said, what's happening? Why were we not invited? So it's possible these people wanted to unite Israel. So let us help Israel to be united. Let us do it. And this is not strange to us. We are Nigerians. I mean, two days ago marked an exact year from when we will go back to the polls to elect our president. And very soon you begin to hear it, that you need a man who can unite the nation. You need a man who can bring things together. So they tell you, this man is not a, how do we call it now? I can't remember the exact words. He's, he's not a nepotist. He will not put his own people. That if this man comes into power, everybody will share of the national cake. So it's possible this is what was going on in the minds of, of the Israelites. Let's bring these guys so we'll be united. But the thing is, God, see, this may work for Nigeria and may work for other nations that are not Israel, but not for Israel. Because God had told them that I am your king. I am your ruler. We see the inherent subtle weakness of God's people to deify their leaders here. There's this tendency to make your leaders more than they really are, even in church. Church history will prove it over and over and over again. God raises up a man, and God works a revival through that man. And the next thing you see, they meet him and say, let's form a denomination. You lead us. God has used you to do so much. Which is why God, a lot of times, even introduces weaknesses in the lives of those men. So that they can be shown to be but men. But men. And the second thing we must observe is Gideon's refusal to be king. Gideon, in verse 23, said, I will not rule over you. So Gideon is not a diplomat. He's not arguing the matter. He said, come and rule over. He doesn't take up the Bible and begin to do a sermon. 
He doesn't begin to explain it and say, this is what God said. He said, no, 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 no. I will not rule over you. And he gives a straightforward reason. He says, the Lord will rule over you. I cannot rule over you. Now, this looks very wonderful. He's, he gave the right answer. I will not rule over you. The problem is that Gideon says one thing and does another thing. The text shows us at least three things that Gideon did that showed that what he was saying was not genuine. Look at verse 30. It says, now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. Is this not what the Gentile kings would do? They have many wives. That was not enough for Gideon. Verse 31. And his concubine who was in Shechem. So Gideon did not just have many wives as the other kings would do. Remember he says, don't make me your king. I don't want to be your king. God is your king. But look at the life of Gideon. He had many wives. Look at the life of Gideon. He had a concubine. In fact, that concubine had a son called Abimelech. Abimelech is a compound name from Abba and Melech. So Abba means father and Melech means king. So Gideon says, I will not rule over you. God will rule over you. God is your king. But he goes to name his child, my father is king. He's saying, based on what God has told us, essentially, because he was making an implication, that God will be your king. I will not be your king. But he goes on to live exactly as the other kings would live. So much so that after the death of Gideon, Two of his sons were fighting for rulership in Israel. Jotham and Abimelech in chapter 9 of Judges. What's happening here? See, here we are seeing a disconnect between a man's public pronouncement and his private practice. Gideon says one thing and does another thing. The question we want to ask is, why is it that Gideon did not finish well? Is there anything in the text that points to us why Gideon did not finish well. You see, Gideon reminds me of the Christian who has an understanding of, of truth, but whose understanding of truth never gets to his heart and never gets to his life. Gideon reminds me of the Christian who knows everything. Gideon gave the right answer. So the problem was not that Gideon did not know the right answer or did not know the right thing to do. The problem was the practice. The problem was the practice. I'm not saying a Christian must be hundred. A Christian cannot be perfect here. But look at the inconsistency in the life of Gideon. Look at the inconsistency. The problem when people finish poorly in their Christian work is not because they are imperfect people. In the case of Gideon, it was because Gideon gave excuses for his inconsistencies. Gideon failed to address his inconsistencies. Remember the song which says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turns to gray. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Sometimes when we see somebody fall into grievous sin, I can give names upon names, 
we instantly think maybe he was working well with God and in the last lap of his life something happened. Usually it's not the case. It's really the case that a man would work well with God. It happens sometimes, but it's really the case a man would work well with God and then in the last, in the last year of his life something happens. It is usually that men begin to make excuses for their inconsistencies. They have a name. They have a reason for their inconsistencies. It was Jesse Ryle, the bishop of Liverpool, who said, men fall in private long before they fall in public. He said, the tree that you see falling with a great crash appears to be a one-time big event until you begin to observe that the rots in the root of the tree had been there for so long, and that was what made the tree to fall. A friend would tell me, never leave skeletons in your cupboard. If you see that there is an inconsistency in your life, what is the thing to do? Repent of it. What is the thing to do? Turn from it. What is the thing to do? Confess your sins. See, when a man lives in an inconsistent life, his fall is coming. When a man says something in public and yet lives a different life in private, his fall is coming. The question you ask me is, where does the text tell us that Gideon was already falling? I think chapter 8 tells us that Gideon was already falling. His inconsistency was already begin, beginning to show. In chapter 8, some men of Ephraim came to Gideon and said, Oh God, why did you not carry us to fight the war? What happened? Why did you leave us away? And Gideon spoke kindly to them. He spoke softly to them. And so they turned away. But when Gideon began to move on to Israelites now, to Sukkoth and to Peniel, and they answered him brashly. You know what he told them? You know, they asked him. He said he was pursuing two princes, Zelma and Zalbuna. And he told, you know, they told Gideon, where are they that we shall allow you pass? Gideon said, okay, when I come back, I'll show you Pepe. And Gideon went. And when Gideon came back, he met a man of Sukkoth on the road. That's one of those tribes that refused to allow him go. And he called him and he said, write for me, he wrote for him 70 names, about 70 names of the leaders of Succoth. And when Gideon came back, do you know what Gideon did? He went to the bush, found Chukuchuku, and used it to flog them. So, why the inconsistency? If, if these are also your brothers who are also coming to you saying something insensible, why don't you speak a kind word to them and let it go? That's not all. When they caught those two princes they were pursuing, Gideon asked them, which kind of people did you kill? And they said, we killed people who looked like you. And Gideon got angry. He said, the people you killed are the sons of my mother. And he looked to his eldest son. He said, descend on two of them and kill them. And the Bible tells us that that guy was young and inexperienced. And he couldn't do it. And they told Gideon, follow not, and Gideon killed them. Now, I thought this was a battle for God. I thought this was something for the people of God. Where and when did Gideon's personal interest begin to get in the way? Where and when? Where and when? So before Gideon fell in chapter 8, verse 22 to 35, Gideon was already falling. Gideon was already having these inconsistencies popping up in his life. In a book, one of his books called Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp, which is a book I believe every minister, you want to be a minister, should read. Paul gives a story of what happened one day when he was in a church. So he worshipped with them on Sunday, and on Monday, 
they would have a leadership meeting in the office. So church staff, they would have a debriefing meeting. And so what will happen every Monday is that they will pray and then they will get to review Sunday service and plan for the new week. On this morning, they came to church. They were waiting for their senior pastor, a man of 45 years old. He was late. Senior pastor is never late. He was a very disciplined man. Never late. They, no issue. I mean, he's a very disciplined man, always on time. And so somebody called him and said, where are you? What's happening? And the man came to the meeting. And the moment he walked into the hall of that meeting, everybody knew something was wrong. And the man looked at them and said, I'm done. It was at the height of his ministry. I can't do this anymore. I can't deal with the pressures of ministry. I can't face preaching another sermon. I can't deal with another meeting. If I'm honest, I would have to say that all I want to do is leave. I want to leave the ministry. I want to leave this area. And I want to leave my wife. No, there's been no affair. I'm just tired of pretending that I am somebody I am not. I'm tired of acting like I'm okay when I'm not. I'm tired of playing as if my marriage is good when the polar opposite, when it is the polar opposite of good. I can't preach this coming Sunday and I have to get away or I'm going to explode. I'm sorry to lay this on you, but I'm done. I can't go on. And with that, the senior pastor left the meeting. He had been ministering for years with inconsistencies. So the man on the pulpit was different from the man in private. Now you may say I'm not on the pulpit. I don't preach to people. I'm just an ordinary Christian. I'm an ordinary Christian. I don't do anything. Isn't this the same inconsistency we see with Christian parents sometimes? You tell your child, this thing is wrong. Don't do it. And then you're you're doing it. And the little boy or little girl comes to you and says, Daddy, why are you doing it? You said we should not do it. I say, daddy can do whatever he wants to do. So daddy can set a law, but he's above the law. Inconsistencies. Now, it may not be a big sin. For this man, it wasn't adultery. Inconsistencies. You lie. And you think it's not a big sin. After all, how could lie bring somebody's ministry to an end? Or how can a lie, lying, destroy somebody? It could be anger. And then you say, No. It's not as if I am, it's just that I get emotional when things touch me. But you are angry and it's a sin. Clearly it's a sin. But you're willing to live with a sin as long as nobody knows. I, I, I mean, this is it's a struggle for me. It's my private struggle. A man falls in private long before he falls in public. Why do people not finish strong? Because they are falling in public, in private. A popular American minister a few years ago Fell. It was just discovered on a day that he was having an affair with a homosexual prostitute. He was a pastor and he was doing drugs. It did not start that day. They found when, when sinful patterns show up in our lives and we choose to give excuses for them and say these are struggles, it could even be sins in our thoughts. We may never have acted upon it. But when those inconsistencies exist and we are okay to be inconsistent, there's a problem. Look at Gideon, already showing signs of inconsistency. Add to this the success of Gideon. 
Add to this the fact that this guy with 300 men single-handedly brought down Midian. And for 40 years, Midian did not do anything to Israel. Add to it that this guy, despite the fact that he did not have the combined forces of the 12 tribes of Israel, could defeat Midian. Add to it the fact that it was 300 men that this guy took in the initial place. Look at the success. They came back with enough booty from the war. Enough booty. Add to all of this to Gideon. And you see that Gideon was a recipe, was a disaster waiting to happen. A Christian who is fine with inconsistencies will find that things will end badly. We must never give excuses for inconsistencies. And we see the religious decline in Israel. What happened in Israel? Gideon came back and he said, give me the things you brought together. He said, okay, don't, we don't, I don't want to be king. Remember, this man is an inconsistent man. If you say you don't want to be king, what would you have done? You would have gone into retirement and sat down and died. He said, no, spread a cloth. Bring for me all the things you brought, the, the, the earrings and everything. And the Bible tells us that he gathered 1,700 shekels of this. In today's money, if I'm going to use that to today's money, that's about $1.2 million or over 700 million naira. And that was not all he gave. they gave him. They gave him more. And this man went to build an ephod. If we understand the meaning of an ephod, we understand the extent of Gideon's fall. An ephod is a high priestly garment. So this is what happens. The priest, the high priest now has a garment he wears. It's a long garment that goes to the ground. So when the garment ends somewhere around here, then he ties a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, so that when he's going into the holies of holies, the high priest, it will be making a noise. So that cloth that the high priest wears is an ephod. Now the ephod, attached to the ephod, is a breast piece that has 12 stones on it, bearing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now that breast piece is, at, is, is also with the ephod. There's a, there's a pocket or a pouch on that breast piece where you find two stones called the Umim and the Thummim. So you put it there. So when the, the, when the high priest wants to ask God for direction for the people of Israel, what he does is to consult the Umim and the Thummim. is part of the, the effort. When David was running away from Saul, if some of you can remember, and it was about, it was, it was having some interaction with the people of Kela. When he went to the, to the, to Shiloh, no, when he went to meet the high priest, what did he tell him? He said, bring forth the ephod. And he said, should I pursue or should I restrain? And so that was something to seek for, guidance. So Gideon, who is not an ignorant man, clearly, decides to, he's an inconsistent man, build an ephod of gold and put it in his hometown. Was this not what Jeroboam did when he said, let the people begin to go to Jerusalem to worship. Let me build something in Dan and and he did that. So Gideon made an effort. This is, is, this is something for guidance. The people knew that this is how we get guidance from God. You, if you read Exodus chapter 28, Exodus chapter 39, you see all of this there. That's the work of the effort. So Gideon builds this in and puts here. Why does he do it? The text does not tell us. But I can't imagine what is happening. Gideon is going beyond what God has declared in his word. He's, he's doing extra to what God has said. You know, this is what we do when we say, let us do something to help God. It's not enough. I was having discussions with some brothers over the, over the past week. We want to do something new. 
After all, it's not clearly, there's no sin in it. We want to do something new. Let's do something novel. Maybe if we do that, we are contextualizing. We're trying to get it to the people. We're trying to help. It's possible Gideon did not think that things would get bad. But look at what happened in verse 27. All of Israel heard after that effort. It became a scene of worship for them. See what inconsistency causes. A man saying, I don't want to be king, but acting like a king. And lastly, let us observe the repercussion of Gideon's actions. Because Gideon died, of course, we know that. But after Gideon died, the people ran back. The the, the adultery, the idolatry that Gideon introduced in his lifetime was taken to the extreme. You hear this in a lot of times, that what parents do in moderation, their children will do in excess. What parents do small of, their children will do in excess. So what does Israel do? The Bible says they left God, and they went after Baal, and they worshipped Baal. They left God. So what Gideon had introduced them to, they left God, and they went after Baal. Do you know this would have been a time for a religious revival in Israel? I mean, now you can go and plant your crops and nobody will come and pursue it. Now you can do your wheat in the public. You don't need to run and hide before you, you can harvest your food. Your, your animals will eat and they'll be, they'll be healthy and you can sell them in the market and make money. Is this not the time to be humble before God and thank him for his mercies? Yet, all of Gideon's expedition, everything, all the wind and everything came to idolatry which led to a forsaking of God. What was meant to bring a religious revival brought a religious declension in Israel. And everybody left God. And the Bible tells us that Israel had peace for 28, 40 years. That's in verse 28. Now this is important because this is the last time the land had peace in the time of Gideon. This is the last time the land had peace. It's as though God is Withdrawing his blessing of peace from them. And it happened in the time of Gideon. More than that, the boy whose name was my father is king in chapter 9, when Gideon died, he killed all 70 of Gideon's sons except one, Jotham. And he became king. And we know how that ended. When we are inconsistent in our lives, When we allow those sins to remain and make excuses and feel like as long as it's not hurting anybody, after all, I'm just watching it in my own bedroom. After all, I'm just doing it alone with my own self. Nobody knows. That's a recipe for disaster in the Christian life. That's a recipe for disaster. Regardless of who you are, whether you are a pastor or you are a leader or you are nothing in the church, as long as you are a Christian, your desire should be to finish well. To finish strong. And this is not an impossibility. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Paul says, So that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end? Is there, is there any fault in God in keeping his people? Is it that God cannot? Yes, God can. But never forget that our sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit, but it is a work in which we are not passive. 
Yes, it's a work of God, both justification and sanctification. God sanctifies us, but we are not passive. Friends, let us deal with our sins. And let us hate hypocrisy. Hate hypocrisy. Man cannot finish well on his own, of course. That's why we have Christ. So Christ is not just there at our beginning. He's the one who finished the work he has started in, in us. As we walk the Christian life, Christ is there, strengthening us. But don't forget, when, when Luther nailed that thesis on the door, he said, when our Lord Jesus Christ said we should repent, he meant that the entire life of Christians should be one of repentance. The entire life. Don't allow any inconsistency linger. We can learn from Gideon that inconsistencies can be so costly. They can be so costly. And I pray that God will, God will help us indeed. When you go home, you can read the entire story. We couldn't read the entire story. Read down to chapter 10 and see not just what happened in the life of Gideon, but what happened in Israel after Gideon died. When Abimelech took power and became king. And all of the things that happened. May God help us all to finish well. To finish strong. Amen.